Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment, listen to everything about the episode. If there's a particular guest or topic you'd like to have covered, we're always checking comments on there. I'd love to be able to take your guys' feedback and then work them into future episodes. Today, I'm going to be joined by Cass and Adam from Cho Engineering Performance. They've got a really important message to be able to talk to us about, and that's about protecting an engine. So after you... You know, say you have a failure on on your engine, you replace it. They see a lot of mistakes that are made out there, and it could completely trash a brand new engine. So they wanted to chat with, chat with us about things that they see, ways that we can protect it, uh, make sure that our investment is protected, and it's going to apply whether we're you know a truck owner or whether you know it's a shop that's installing it. So I'm really looking forward to be able to get their feedback, their insights to avoid a costly mistake. Before we get to it, though, I want to remind you, our friends over at Kershaw Knives have a 20% off site wide code for you. So if you go to kershaw.kaiusa.com, use code 23diesel20, you get 20% off site wide. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. They've had a bunch of new releases in 2023, and one of the newest models that they have are the Duralock models, which they have a blade made out of D2 steel. There's a bunch of different choices for blade shape, um, handle shape as well. So if you're in the market looking for something for EDC or hunting, fishing around the job site, definitely make sure head on over to their website, check them out, and use that code for 20% off site wide. All right, let's get to today's podcast with Cass and Adam and asking them ways we can protect our engine and avoid a costly mistake. Cass and Adam, welcome to the Diesel Podcast. Looking forward to chatting with you guys today. I always love podcasts where I've got two guests and there's uh, so much more information and questions and and things we can do on a podcast. So I look forward to chatting with you guys today, learning about engines, catching up with you, Adam. Um, Cass, you uh, your company's grown so much over the years and it's going to be cool to see where you guys are at and all the cool things you guys are working on. It's good to see you, buddy. It's been a while. I'm trying to think of the last time we uh, we did one of these. It's it's probably been a year or more. I think yeah. yeah. I good to see you. I think we did a seven three episode. I think you were talking to me about seven three racing or something with seven threes. It was a while ago. Blowing up my truck. I remember we did the one on how to get your truck in a magazine. Yeah, I know that one did really well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've done a few. We've done a few over the years since what twenty seventeen when we started working together. But yeah, yeah, it's been cool. Well, I thought it'd be cool because Adam, everybody, I can't say everybody, but most people know who you are. You've been around diesel performance, motorsports for longer than I've been in it. And I see you got the Choate Performance Engineering t-shirt on. We're doing a podcast today. So what kind of update would you like Diesel Nation, the diesel world to know about? Uh, So, well, I was with Diesel World for nine years. I mean, I've been in the diesel industry for 20 years. Um, 
but was with these world for nine years and you know it's um it, it's print primarily print based um i was let go four months ago now for budgetary reasons and that was uh was the end of an era for me um so i essentially just put a facebook post up and said hey who's looking for help and i want to help you and Cass, uh, among a bunch, a bunch of other people texted me and reached out and spent about a month going from shop to shop to shop, just sort of talking to buddies in the industry. And I mean, Cass and I had been friends on Facebook, but we had never even talked. Um, but I came out here just to see the facility and it, uh, it impressed me. There's a lot of potential. So that's where I ended up. Spend about 10 days a month out here and the rest of the time in, in Idaho at home. Very so cool. it's, uh, it's been it's been a change it's um i'd be lying if i wasn't scared in the beginning because you know, i spent 15 years doing magazines and media stuff and you know nine years at diesel world and i mean that was honestly that was easy i got just because i'd figured it out i've been doing it for so long you know yeah um i was very nervous about what it was going to be and it was just a, a changing of what i already knew and applying it in different ways if that makes sense um, but learning a whole lot more too, because I don't know exactly, still don't know exactly what we do here. You know, <laughs> I don't know exactly what we do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know what we do, but it's 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 always a learning process, and I, I think I, I enjoy that. You know, it's um, this is, in all honesty, a little more of a realistic job for the future than uh, working at a magazine company. You know, that's one of the things that uh, it was intimidating at first, but then it becomes inspiring is how little I do know. And that's what's so cool about episodes like this. Like you've been around one side of it for a really long time, Adam, and then Cass, you're building engines for all diesel applications. And there's so much information, you know, we've gone into oil weights before and heads and camshafts and issues with factory blocks. And you guys were, yeah, you had a really great idea. And I know you guys said a lot of people ask you this question on a daily basis or run into issues. And then I get them as well from time to time, or I see a comment on YouTube or Instagram or something like that. And it's somebody who has an engine failure and then they rebuild it. And then they have either the same engine failure or something catastrophic kind of happens right after they do it. And you guys are on the front line. So Cass, I wanted to ask you about what you guys see as a manufacturer, a builder. Is that something that's really common? What are some maybe even common problems people run into based on the engine or just things you guys wish people knew about so that they could avoid that situation? Yeah, that's definitely a, a big problem. You know, you they say that uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. But, um, you know, that happens a lot and it happens a lot in our industry and you wouldn't think it would, but um, it really it, it's more problematic. And, you know, I, I was looking at him just a minute ago because it just dawned on me a, dog, uh, a story to tell you on, on something. And I certainly am not going to tell you the name of the company, but it's interesting to not to know uh, that this company does um, is heavily involved with research for Ford Motor Company. Okay, so it's a it's a decent sized company, but we're just going to leave it at that. Yeah, where you going? So interestingly enough, they bought four engines from us, <clears throat> and um, they bought four engines and they put them on the dyno. And these they're running six point seven liter power stroke engines on the dyno, and they'll run them on the dyno for different amounts of time. And they always know pretty much what's going to fail, when it's going to fail, because they run them under extremely high duress situations. And they'll take them all the way down to a zero weight oil 
okay? And they'll run them all the way down to an oil that obviously is not designed to support uh, the loads that are, are being applied to the, the crankshaft. And um, anyways, so they bought four engines and I get a phone call one day and our quality control process has certainly evolved um, through the years. And there's reasons for that, not just to make sure that we can supply the customer, ultimately to be able to supply the customer with the very best product that we can build, but also for my sanity. Um, I'm very much a, I like to sleep good at night and I like to know the product we build is complete. Um, you sleep at night? Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> every once in a while. <laughs> so um, they called up and they said, hey man, I want to let you know, uh, we bought four of your engines. Uh, they were all four short blocks and the first two were great. The third one, of course, you know, they run them until they kill them. That's the whole idea. I mean, they are to destroy these engines and that they they don't pull the thing off the dyno. I mean, they're running these things for hours and hours and hours on the dyno in extremely harsh environments, intentionally destroying it in, in, in a manner in which uh, that they are they need to know right at the threshold when it's going to give way. So anyways, so they, they had destroyed some engines. They put the third one, uh, no, yeah, they put the third one on, and the guy goes, man, uh, I want to let you know that you've got a problem. We've got high amounts of blow-by with your engine. And I said, really? You bought a short block, you've got high amounts of blow-by with the engine. Oh, yeah, 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 we got high amounts of blow-by, and, and we know why, too. It's like, <laughs> okay, great. Uh, now, this may not mean anything to the average mechanic, but for a machinist listening, he's going to laugh his head off at this. Uh, but they, he said, you've got 27,000 piston-to-wall clearance on this piston. Now, to put it in perspective, uh, about three, generally, it's it's 1,000 for one inch of bore. So if you've got something that's just, say, it's four-inch uh, bore, this would be a three-inch 896 bore, but whatever. So around three and a half thousand to 4,000, how much? But he's saying we got 27,000. And I said, that's 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 incredible. Tell me more, <laughs> you know, and then I said, uh, let me do some checking. So I pulled the report on the thing and I go, OK, I've got um, one, two, three. I've got I've got nine different measurements on every single cylinder. Uh, so I've got 72 measurements here and I can tell you what the surface finish of the cylinder wall is. I can tell you what the RVK, the RPK, the RK is. I can tell you everything you want to know about it. And every one of these things here shows that the biggest measurement that we've got on them, there's only two tenths difference is about three and six, three and seven tenths. And he said, I said, I've got two questions for you. One, you this is the first time you've called. Do not, you know, we don't want you disassembling our engine. It would void the warranty if you disassemble the engine before um, before we, we have a discussion and we approve you to disassemble this thing. Why would you do that? Secondly, if you didn't do that, how did you get a measurement on the piston? Keep in mind, this is a high-profile customer on this. And he said, I said, surely you're not taking a measurement from the top of the piston, right? Because you do realize it's a taper. He goes, hang on just a second. I'll be right back. He comes back and goes, yeah, they were measuring it from the top of the piston. And I was like, you, you, can't, you can't take a measurement from there. The piston expands in the skirt. It's, it's a barrel. It's, it's, it's not shaped that way. And uh, so after about 15 minutes of talking to the guy, he goes, okay, fine. I said, you check this, you check this, you check this. You checked your valve stem seals, they're good. Oh yeah, new heads. Okay, you've checked crankcase ventilation filter. Oh yeah, yeah, it's brand new. Uh, and so I went through a list of things that could check that would cause high blow amounts of blow-by. And then after about 15 minutes of talking to him, I said, um, have you looked at the cylinder walls? They all look good. 
And he goes, all of them look great except the number eight. Go, Wait a minute. Hang on. I got it. What's going on with the number eight? Well, it looks like the top of the piston is just, uh, well, it looks like it's uh, it's pitted. And I said, really, tell me, tell me, how did it get pitted? Because it was a short block when you bought it. And he goes, I don't know, but I think some of the shrapnel from the last engine that we had on the dyno, when it let loose, we reused the intercooler. And I think some of the metal went right back in the engine, but I don't think it got in the rings. So I said, so you think that it isolated itself to the center of the combustion ball? And he said, yeah. Said, yeah, it doesn't work that way. I said, uh, it wore your rings out. And so like two days later, I see an order come through with pistons and rings on this thing. And they bought that to fix it. And I hate it for them. But this goes all that to say this. Um, they could have been avoided by simply replacing the intercooler before you had installed the next engine. Because they kept going through and they're just destroying them one right after the other and it's shrapnel. Um, so there's a lot of things like that, you know, making sure cleanliness is next to godliness. And when you're building engines, uh, we can do our due diligence to make sure that there's uh, very, uh, it's a very clean environment, um, very little in the way of dust or particulate matter in the, in the engine. But when they, uh, you know, put the old oil cooler back on, and they're sending the same shrapnel and the same garbage and the same trash and contaminants that exploded the first engine right back into the new engine. It really doesn't matter because keep more. And yeah, exactly. Because the oil cooler is typically is going to be on the opposite side of the filter, right? So your, it goes through your filter, then it goes through your oil cooler. In most cases, some engines are a little different, like the 6.7 goes through the oil cooler first and then to the filter. Sometimes it's reverse. But at any rate, that metal can get by. And not just talking about that, um, vans are notorious problems. Uh, E-series vans on six liters. The guys go, well, I'll replace my oil cooler. Yeah. And I'll replace everything you told me to replace. That's great. Did you clean the lines out? You know, the long lines because they have a relocation kit going to that? No, I didn't. You know, all that stuff's got contamination in it too. Transmission guys know this better than anybody, right? So those are all problematic uh, areas. Guys that have turbos let loose. I mean, all that shrapnel goes somewhere. I mean, it's at the bearing that goes down, right? It, it can go back into the engine um, the, for the journal bearings on the turbocharger. The impeller, all that trash can go back into the intercooler. Or heaven forbid somebody doesn't clean the intercooler out and it's full of oil. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen brand new engines start to run away because they just installed them and they didn't clean the intercooler. And this thing takes off wide open just as soon as it lights. And then the next thing you know, it's it's eating off the oil of the old engine and you can't get the thing to shut down because you don't have a rag or anything close by and you freak out. And most of the time, guys run like little girls away from the engine when they're running like 7,000 RPMs because it sounds like it's going to come apart. Um, so those are all problems. But I mean, there's a lot of things that you could go. I mean, I could give you instance after instance after story after story, whether it's a fuel dilution issues because... You know, guys were running an aftermarket fuel pump on a truck, uh, especially on 6.4 liters, like a K16 pump. It's designed to run at four pounds of positive pressure. They put these pumps on, they're running 15 pounds of pressure. They're pushing fuel past the shaft seal. And then they dilute the, the, the crankcase with fuel and they'll wipe the bearings. Um, but they think they're doing good because, you know, they've got an aftermarket with a two micron filter and all these things. And yes, you're helping your fuel system, but you're killing your engine. Or uh, guys that are running uh, issues with, you know, not replacing injector lines on the six fours, especially, or the Duramaxes with the LB7s, making sure the uh, the return seals aren't leaking, right? 
um, making sure that they pressure tested those to make sure that that's not going to be a problem. They put it back together, filled the crankcase. But generally, when it fails, it fails around 6,500, 6,000, 7,000 miles. Why is it that you see that failure occur between five to 7,000 miles on a new engine install? Well, I can tell you. Here's the reason why. Because you haven't changed your oil. You're fixing to change your oil. The thing's full of crank, the thing's full of diesel fuel. And it's had long enough now to fill the crankcase full of diesel fuel. That's the reason why. That's a sweet spot. The five, six, seven thousand miles right there. And then bam, if it's going to take it out of fuel dilution, it's because that's the reason why. Because the guy just put new oil in, it takes a little while for that to become saturated. Um, so I mean, you could go on and on for days. Exhaust back pressure sensors. You know, we see that where guys don't uh, make sure that uh, the exhaust back pressure sensor is cleaned out and they've been connecting rods because he's overboosting because the vein's coned down and this thing's spinning to beat the van to build. And it's building 40 pounds of boost, but it's also building 80 pounds of drive pressure, 90 pounds of drive pressure, whatever it might be. And it can cause uh, some dress on the connecting rods. I mean, those are a lot of different things like that. Um, there's just, there's a ton of stuff that actually can, uh, insulation is a lot more methodical than what most people think. Um, I could tell you, you know, stories of oil pans leaking on 6.7s. Here's the reason why. How many people use a torque wrench on a 6.7 when they put the transmission in? I don't know how many people, but I don't know that I personally, and I'm guilty. Of, it's four oogadoogas. That's it. it. <laughs> uh, you know, that's it. Exactly. <laughs> But why? Why is it important to use a torque wrench when you're, you know, you're putting a 6.7, uh, yeah, 6R140 trans or something like that in the, in the 6.7? It's because when the bolts get loose, the way that that engine is manufactured and designed is that the upper oil pan is actually a huge problem for oil leaks. Anybody that knows anything about 6.7s knows how bad that 6.7, uh, the upper oil pan tends to leak. Well, a lot of times when guys put the new engines in, they don't make sure the dials are located right or they don't make sure that the trans bolts are tight. And when it does take off, it flexes, excuse me, the engine flexes. And when it flexes like that, it pries against that oil pan because of the bolt uh, of the, uh, the bell housing design. And it is actually pulling the pan from the, up, the, the block itself. And that increases uh, the, the gap and causes the, the oil pan to leak. I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, I could spend literally, I could sit here for three hours just off the top of my head thinking, of uh, potential problems that guys could have um, that they have shot themselves in the foot right out of the gate. Something I didn't know. I think what's so, what's so critical about it is when you're doing, when you're changing the engine and you're not building a race truck. So I'm not talking about the performance side. It's because you've had a failure and you're probably stranded. You need to get it back up and running. And as a truck owner, you probably haven't had it happen before. So it's probably the first time and you think, okay, I'm going to take my truck to, you know, places, you know, XYZ, ABC, whatever it is. Um, they know how to do it. You're trusting them to be able to take the engine, swap it, do all the methodical things that you mentioned. And prior to this podcast, I've heard of some things like that, but I'm not at the, I'm not on the front lines of it. So I think, okay, it's kind of rare. It happens every now and then. But with you guys saying, hey, we see this a lot. I think maybe a truck owner, they've overlooked that. They haven't thought about that. They're not asking they probably don't even know the questions to ask. Like you rattled off all those things, Cass. And I'm like, I never, I mean, I've thought of some of it, but I wouldn't know, Hey, this aftermarket lift pumps doing this, or Hey, what about the lines with that? Or, you know, I kind of know the intercooler part. Like I blow up my turbo. I know my intercooler. I should just buy a new one. But 
the average person might not. So it, it seems like a bigger issue than maybe any of us realize. It's the nature of the job of seeing, you know, seeing problematic engines come. No one comes to us with a perfect running engine, you know, so it's interesting the nature of the job there, the things you see. But... Well, if I was building one engine in my garage of mine, right, and I had a failure, the chances of me really indulging myself into locking the door and finding out why this thing failed probably would not be very high because it's not that applicable. I mean, don't get me wrong. Nobody wants to have an engine failure, but if you have 20 engines out there that go out that week or that, that month or whatever it is, and you have a failure, um, then that can be detrimental to you as a company, as a business owner, I have to figure out why this stuff fails. I can't just chalk it up to, um, you know, just, it happens bad luck. It, it, there's no such thing as bad. I mean, some folks would say, but there's a reason why stuff fails. Okay. It really, it truly does. I mean, and guys don't diagnose most of the time. I had a guy and they're great customers. Listen, I mean, if they're listening and I, I would never mention the names because, you know, I feel like dragging that the names are protected to protect the innocent. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but any, they were really great guys. But the issue is, is like, I had a guy today on a six, seven, he bought an engine. And this is a dirt. This is a side of it that people don't really talk about. Because man, I think you know your six seven your engine you, you the fail or something you went it just locked up, okay. And we started talking a little bit about it. And he goes, "I'm going to have I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to send it to you, okay." They get the engine out on the shop floor. They get it out of the truck. Last thing he does, pulls the CP four pump off of it. The engine automatically spins over. The the pump had grenaded and locked the truck up. Nothing's wrong with the engine. He called. I heard him on the phone with uh, the warranty department when I walked past. I don't want to let you know. There's nothing wrong with the engine. The pump grenaded. Man, wouldn't that have been nice to find right before you pulled the engine out? That would have been yeah. nice. But, you know, there's so much in the way of diagnostics. I, When a person has a problem, um, I had one today uh, on a 7.3. I deal with it every day. Guy on a 7.3, truck shut off. Your truck shut The engine you that we installed, your engine, and the truck shut off. Next thing he knows, and, and I, this can't be, you know, it's got to be the motor because they're always thinking that way. It's got to be the engine. Okay, what's going on? Well, all the oil's in the fuel. Okay. All the fuel's in the oil. All the oil's in the fuel <laughs> on a 7.3. Okay, I just put new injectors in. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there's two things that I can think that'll cause that problem. And they both say O-ring. One is it wasn't an OEO ring. And we, even if it is, I've seen those things get taken out pretty quick and two algae in the tank you let the truck sit up for how long before you put the engine in if you're like me you're not going my truck failed mm, let me whip out my wallet get them to get one coming right now no that's not gonna happen most of the time you're probably going to spend at least three weeks trying to convince your wife and then you're going to find three weeks trying to convince your banker right <laughs> so i mean that's just the way it is so you go all right the truck sits well you know how long it takes about 30 days for algae to develop in the fuel system okay that stuff is very corrosive to o-rings it will eat them up and i've seen them take a new o-ring and just absolutely destroy the algae will just absolutely destroy those o-rings on those in the, the vitral uh, injector o-rings and the guy's got a problem sure he's got a problem i want to help him but now i'm no longer just the diagnostician of the engine I have to know the whole system because you can't diagnose something if it's a system when you think of it in, as, as an isolated event. You have to think of it as a whole. How can it, you know, how can the intake temperature sensor uh, control transmission shifting? Well, it absolutely can. 
because ECM's looking at that table to try to see when I should ship because it's cold out. Now, what does that got to do with a guy at Coleman Taylor well, or, or transmission shop or whatever? Well, I mean, there's a lot more involved into what we're doing. This stuff's complicated. There's reasons why there's not mechanics on every corner that are really good. It's hard stuff. It's stuff you guys are doing some hard stuff out here. And you've got to know it or you're not going to be able to diagnose it. I'm going to shut up. You're staring at me because I've had <laughs> my 7.3 sitting in the shop for the last year and a half. <laughs> Drain it, honey. Uh, it's a Nobody for that, isn't it? Fired <laughs> <laughs> up. Oh, man, it hit first lick. That's great. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you if there were you know, things common with different engines, but I'm realizing it kind of, it depends on what the failure is or why. Was it a turbo? Was it fuel system? Was it... it I don't think, at least for hearing what you said, there's a couple things we'd say, hey, if it's a Duramax, it might it might be this, or Cummins or Power Stroke. I think it just depends on what the failure is. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I could rattle them off for you. I could go down right on top of my head and tell you the most common failures of every single engine. And it really is good. Because, I mean, you do it every day. It's not like the guy goes, man, he's just really smart. No, you just do it every day. If you don't know it by now, you're an idiot. I mean, you, you better learn it because it's going to eat you up if it, you don't learn it. But certain engines are uh, more problematic in certain areas, for sure. Definitely, like we said, fuel contamination is not isolated to a Duramax or a 6.4 liter. I've seen Cummins that take out engines because the injectors leak. Um, so, you know, there's ways to check that and there's things to, te to test. But nobody really does. Uh, there's That's the thing. I used to say quality control ends at the dock door for us. And it's true. Because as a business owner, uh, or excuse me, looking at it in the perspective of a customer, I'm, I'm thinking, what can I do? Because we both, the, the customer and, uh, and myself, enter into a marriage every time somebody buys an engine. And I want it to be a happy marriage. I don't want one of us trying to get out of this thing. And, and, and the, the, we wind up in, in a situation we don't want to be in. And in order to make that happen with a happy relationship, I've got to figure out ways to uh, keep the quality control all the way till the guy turns his key to the run position and starts his truck. And so that's caused me, it's led me down some paths to do things that, you know, normally most guys as engine builders don't really care about, but if you're going to service the customer in the way that they ought to be serviced and, you know, you really have to, you have to go down some avenues pretty, pretty deep and spend some time down there to be able to fix some of these problems thinking of three things and hopefully we can <clears throat> kind of go through them in stages. So I think of UCAS and you building them. I think of the installer, the diesel shop, and I think of the, the truck owner. So at the manufacturing level, like you'd mentioned with the place that had four of your engines and they were saying, Hey, this is a measurement we got. And you're like, well, let me, let me look, I've got all these measurements here. What are some things that you guys go through prior to it hitting the dock where, you verified this engine's built as you know the best that we can build it to whatever type of build that it might be. All right, I'll tell you this: <clears throat> I do something that nobody else does, um, and you go, "Well, well, maybe there is somebody else out there doing it, but I've never heard anybody." I was sitting in on um, was the Engine Performance Expo, and I got to sit in with you know if you're into the racing scene, especially the Ford FE motors. Um, some of the big mountain stuff, the um, <clears throat> John Cozzi, um, who is 
a well-renowned engine builder. Everybody knows John Kai. I've got the most respect for the guy. And I got to sit in with um, uh, my good buddy, Keith Thornton, who built for Dale Earnhardt and Dale Earnhardt Jr. and all those guys. And we were all talking about this on one of the Engine Performance Expo um, uh, videos that they were doing. And I just, they asked me to, to sit in and say, you know, as an engine builder, what are some of the things that you can do to make sure that you're doing it right? And this, that, and the other, whatever. And one of the things I said is, is that we, we use photos a lot in what we do. And here's the reason why. You know, what has made my tenure as far as what I do pretty unique is, is that not am I only just an engine builder, but there's a lot of times me and me and uh, Adam are working together and I'll say, this is the reason why they did this. And it's because my machining background of the parts manufacturing, not necessarily the, the remanufacturing side, because I never would have thought about it. But when you're doing like if you're machining a part or something, you know, you could go, I've got to figure out a way to hold the part, to machine this part or whatever it is. And you'll go like, well, why do you think they did this? Or why is this block got this little piece here? Whatever it was. There was something the other day that we were it's talking webbing about. webbing on the, uh, or not, you didn't call it webbing. It was uh, grid patterns on the uh, six, six seven. seven head. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's a second op there. That's the reason why they did this. Anyways, the other one, machining has helped me in, in some aspects. But the other thing is, is the idea of, Quality control when you're doing a process has helped me in the mechanic side of things. The The issue is, is when I would when I started out, I would say, okay, like most people, what you need to do is you need to get you a quality control checklist. And then you go off the checklist and then you sign and you write down every single thing that they do. Well, that's great. That's a great start. And no disrespect for anybody doing that because we still do that today in certain areas. But one thing I did learn is even good guys watching them, you know what they do? They don't check it off as they go. They do 10 steps and then they come back and they pencil whip it. They start signing their name to those 10 steps. And a lot of times they'll forget. Now, here's the thing. You can lie about that. And when I say lie, I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm not trying to be malicious in the way that I'm saying that. When I say when, when I say you're lying on something, that means that you're you said you did it. And anytime you put your name on that piece of paper, you're saying you did it, but you did not do it. Now, I don't care how honest person you are, that's still dishonest. It wasn't an intentional uh, mistake. It wasn't dishonest in the fact like you did it purposefully. But at any rate, it did not get done. The only thing that I know how to keep that from happening is force them in whatever. There's certain things that I do. They have to take pictures. There's 375 pictures of every single engine that we build. I had a guy the other day, which is insane, I know. And I had somebody come in the other day and they came from a much larger engine manufacturing company. They wanted to see what we were doing. And I said, look, please understand something. I know you're the production manager and you're probably looking at me like, this guy's an absolute moron. He could speed the process up by doing it this way, this way, and this way. And I said, you know what? You're 100% right. Do not follow me for advice on business production and, and money. That's, I'm not the guy to do that. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not, you're not gonna find any, any nuggets there. I like to sleep at night. I like to know the job's done right. I had a phone call the other day. Guy installed a full running engine of ours. Super nice guy, super good customer. Um, but he waited like three months after he got the engine. He said, that, and he was an honest guy, which very helpful. It's always nice when that, that takes place. But the, the turbocharger, he installed a brand new turbocharger from a well-known manufacturer. He's a good manufacturer. Nothing wrong with that. Let's it sit for 20 minutes while it's idling, goes to pull it out. The turbo's grenaded. It's bad. He looks at it, notices the line's bent, pushed down on it. It was starving it for oil. Okay. He calls me and he's like, man, I noticed when I got this engine that the box was bent. 
and I said, okay, let me look through so I could pull back all the pictures that we took. And I sent him pictures. The line wasn't bent when the box was put on. The box wasn't bent. It was in shipping that it happened. And he goes, yeah, you're right. Because then that's when he told me, he goes, yeah, you're right. That's The box was bent. Here's what we did. We reached out because he was honest. He was easy to work with. Pulled some strings, got him, you know, new parts. Didn't cost him anything. Sent him those and he installed them. Um, but I was able to, I was able to show where it happened. Because in today's time, it really doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. All it matters is if you can prove it. I don't care that you're right because your word on the internet and my word on the internet are they're equal. It doesn't matter. You have to be able to back yourself up. And this is for shop owners. This is for engine builders. This is for everything you do. When I go at it, I look at it as though, yes, I know I did it right, but now I've got to prove it. And I got to prove it six months later after I did it. Oh, you didn't tighten that bolt up. Well, you know what? Here, I, let me download it from a cloud. Here's a picture of my builder torquing the bulb of the rod to 55 foot pounds. Here it is. Which one you want? Because I can do it. And I can send them those pictures. It's not very productive as far as I could, I could build it way faster without doing that. But when the guy calls me up and says, hey, this didn't get done or this isn't going to, I can show, I can look at it and I can see. I wouldn't suggest, you know, Ford Motor Company going to this kind of extreme for quality control, but for us, it works and it works well. And it, it's definitely, it's always nice to be able to go, I got a perfect shot of that. You know, I can die, you know, I, it, it's just really helpful. So I've taken that, those procedures and I've applied them in other places. That makes a lot of sense because I think from the perspective of building, and I'm, I'm thinking, somebody listening right now who's a shop owner or they're building stuff and just kind of quickly going over it. <clears throat> you, know, you think you ship out a motor, line's bent, destroyed a turbo, place calls you, says, well, I need a new turbo. You're buying me that. I need this. I need shipping back and forth. And now you're, what, two, three, four, who knows how many thousands of dollars into it. And then you compound that over two, three, ten of them. You're not going to yeah. be building engines for very long or anything, really. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I said that about John Cosy, and I meant to say they were asking about tips. And John is um, is known for um, coming up with cheap ways to fix things that are extremely clever. And when I said pictures, John looked at me and goes, I never thought of that. I'm going to do that. You know, it's funny to have John Cosy stop, you know, because he's he's just I look at him. He's he's a hero of, of the industry for me and him to take note and go. That's actually a really good idea. I was like, hey, John Gox said something because <laughs> he thinks it's a good idea, you know. <laughs>
you know, it's been interesting for me because, you know, I've worked for multiple companies in the diesel industry. I was a mechanic, you know, I've been in it for 20 plus years. But the amount of engines that come through this place and the amount of time that you spend on the less than 3% failure rate mm -hmm. is, is massive. So while this all sound, it always sound, sounded to me, and it still kind of doesn't sound to me like, like we're, like there's too much, I don't know the other, the other right phrase for this other than CYA going on, but the amount of time that gets spent on that less than 3% mm -hmm. and watching the majority of it not really be something that we did wrong. It's, I'm not really sure how to say it. It's, it's just, wow, this is a tough portion of the industry to be in. Yeah, you know, I mean, selling dual fueler kits never went through this. Selling injector kits never went through this. You know, um, I don't know. It's the engine building game is so hard. Yeah. Um, it's so much harder. And he's right. I mean, most of the time, okay, let's say you had an injector fail. Okay, I mean, don't get me wrong. You bad things can happen. But look, box them up, send them back. I'll send you another one. Right? Okay, great. Try that with an engine. Right? Even torque converters. Pull the trans out. Pull the converter. That stinks. Nobody wants to do that. But imagine, okay, I can do that and I can still recover the fluid and still not be out any money other than my time. Can't do that with an engine because you break the lines loose on stuff. Doesn't matter. You got to buy, like, for instance, we were talking about the 6.4 liter because, uh, you know, that's the engine that sticks out in my mind is just the, the thorn of all the, the Ford industry and everything. But, you know, each time you break those lines loose, it's 30, 40 bucks a pop times eight. That's three hundred twenty dollars. You can't replace it. No, it's one time use. Um, so, but there's tons of stuff like that. You can't reuse them. Sorry. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can replace them there. You can't reuse them. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's very costly to do this job. And then you know, let's say you have a failure, then that stuff that oil cooler has to be replaced. That's a couple hundred bucks there, anyways. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that. But, well, no one wants to spend an extra few thousand dollars after they've spent. Ten plus thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars, depending on what they're doing on a brand new engine. No. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Engine but... building game is 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 by far the hardest of all of them, and I'm not saying that because we're in it. I'm just saying here's the issue: if your injector goes down and you're an injector manufacturer, then the chances are that you're not going to wind up getting the phone call that I get if you installed new injectors when you put that engine in. Let's say they bought the engine from me and they bought the injector from XYZ. When the engine starts misfiring, the customer thinks, worst case scenario, I will get the phone call. The other guy doing the injector, he will not get the phone call. I, I know that because I answer the phones. I deal with, I do warrant. So again, it, it's tough because, and anything you bolt on, you're bolting it onto my engine. You know, you bought, you know, Joe Blow's, well, I'll tell you one right now I can think of. O'Reilly's. This happened in Connecticut. Guy installs an engine 60 miles later, and people are going to say, well, you should have known better than to buy one from O'Reilly's. I'm going to let you in a little secret. Doesn't just happen to O'Reilly's. Okay? It happens to a lot of different ones. But brand new turbo turns loose, dumps oil all through the intake. Guess what? Connecting rods, they can't compress that. What do you think happens? Eight-minute rods. Phone call, ring, ding, ding. I was driving down the road and test driving at night. First off, worst thing in the world. Do not, I have a rule. When you install something, I don't care how excited you are, you never, and I learned this the hard way, 
You never test drive at night. And there's one reason why. Because you can't see what's coming out the tailpipe. Because if it turns white, you can't get that engine shut off fast enough. Sucker will run away. I did a, a repair on a guy's fuel sending unit. And he had a four-degree man in it on Blasted 6.4. <laughs> had to say that again. Sucker ran away. And all I was doing was fixing the wiring on a fuel sending unit. This has been years ago. This is Mr. 6.4. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Could not get that thing to shut down fast <laughs> enough. And melted the pistons in the engine. But you just don't do it. But anyway, sorry. I'll shut up. I said that before. Oh. I, I don't know what to say, so you better keep talking. <laughs> I'm thinking about the second part of the equation, which is going to the dealers or the install shop or the places doing the work. What can what can you guys do to either educate, try to help protect the build, the investment? They're right in between you guys and the you know the end user, the truck owner. What can you guys do there? We have a whole list of things that we, I say we require for our warranty, but I know we don't stick totally to requiring it, but it, it, we, we prefer everyone follows this list, this checklist. Um, so what we've developed is a, a preferred dealer's list. So this should do two things. One is it should excite the customer knowing that they're getting it at a, they're getting their engine installed at a grade A, top notch, top tier level shop. And the problem with it is, is that, you know, if I just said, you know, go to, and this, this happens all the time, go down the road to, uh, you know, John Doe's diesel service. He does great work. Well, here's what happens. John Doe does great work, but John Doe gets really, really busy and he's only one man. So eventually what's going to happen, and I tell you how it happens all the time. I see it all the time. I went through it. Everybody else, if you're out there and you're listening and you're a diesel shop owner, here's what's going to wind up happening. I started out in my garage. I started doing good. Man, my, my trucks, I mean, I had trucks covered up. I just, I'm working to beat the band seven days a week, 25 hours a day. I mean, I'm never getting done. What, what do you do? I got to hire some help. Okay, great. You're over there and you're just happy as a lark now because you've got this guy down the street and he's working and wrenching with you. And you're over there and you're just busting and thinking, man, we're doing good. Now I'm getting twice the amount of work done. And in your mind, because you are not a quality control type person, and not that you're not that type person, but you don't have that type of experience. You have experience as a mechanic working on your stuff and your customer stuff and doing the job right because you care. But it does not enter your mind to make sure that the other guy, you think he's over there and he's doing just as good a job as you're doing and he knows everything that you do. And you're oblivious to the fact that that's not true until it winds up coming back on a rollback. And the customer's yelling at you and you go, what happened? Well, then what happens is, is the guy either does one or two things. He either learns from that mistake. He'll wind up sometimes firing the guy, which is not really the right move sometimes. Or he'll go, I'm done. I'm just going to help. He says, I'm going back to working by myself or I'll find another person. And then he continues to repeat this process over and over again. And then you go, okay, I hired another guy, but you can't find good help anymore. Well, you, the truth is, is they, these guys really, you know, some of them, and some of them don't, some of them do, but if they did know everything you knew, why are they working for you? Why won't they just go open another shop, right? So what you've got to figure out is how to make a quality control process. You're never going to get away from that company if you don't figure out how to make the process. And we, uh, we we've talked about this probably before because I feel like a broken record, but, you know, um, Ray Kroc, who owned the McDonald's, you know, and who bought that. You buy, when you buy a franchise, you buy a process. 
you don't buy the hamburgers because McDonald's makes the very best hamburger in the United States. No, you buy it because they know exactly how much ketchup goes on that bun. They know exactly how long to cook those fries to make them sure, make sure they turn out golden brown. So all of those things are the reason why you're buying the franchise because the process is done. So what I've done is I've backed up and I go, you know what? I want a preferred dealer's list. And here's what I want out of that dealer. There's certain things that we know that if you'll do it this way, here's what made this happen. When I can install our engines here, my, my failure rate goes to zero. I'm not exaggerating. That's the truth. It goes to zero. You don't have failures. We we have nixed it. I mean, it's just, it goes to nothing. But if I send it out the door, jet, I can't say that. Another company uh, uh, that's a big engine manufacturer looks at the zip code and they price you differently based off your zip code. You want that engine, it's going to cost you a dollar because you're in this zip code. You want that engine, it's going to cost you two dollars because you live in that zip code. You know why? Because your warranty claims in this zip code are actually higher than this zip code. Uh, they do that. Yeah, they do that. 100%. Oh, wow. I mean, I've ran the gamut on this thing, trying to figure it out which, you know, there's, there's a lot more to this thing than what people realize. So why is that? Because certain shops, I'll have certain shops install 20 engines, never a problem. You'll have the one shop install the first engine they get. Bam, right out of the box. He's got a problem. Like, what? What happened? Yeah. So how in the world are we going to do this? Because my processes have not changed. And we're still making sure that these things are going and we're doing it right. So what we do is we prefer to work with our preferred dealer and so that the customer knows. And it's not that we go and we go, we're just trying to find the absolute best mechanics. Ford, Henry Ford didn't do that when he set up his assembly line. He knew and he said, if you ever read Henry Ford, My Life and Work, he'll tell you, we could not find enough skilled labor. So what we did is we put the skill into the work instead of taking it out, which is bogus. What it is, is this. He figured out a way to make it harder. It was harder for them to do it wrong than it was for them to do it right. That's it. Now, the skill came in from the guy that was able to figure out how to make it harder to do it wrong than the way it was to do it right. There's where your skill came in. But it's more political and it's more palatable to say, we just put the skill in the work and the guy over there that's running the whole, you know, the, the punch. Oh, man, he's skilled labor. No, he's not. You put a jig there and the guy can't screw it up, right? Okay. Well, that makes do sense. do you do that with mechanic work? Because yeah. mechanic work is, you're not going to have AI, you're not going to have um, FANUC, and you're not going to have uh, ABV come in and, and you're going to have these robots that are now taking this engine apart. It's never going to work that way because there's too many variables. I mean, goodness knows. Some of these guys got more lights on their truck than Santa Claus on a Christmas tree or something. But we're doing this through recommended procedures. I'm getting like, there. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. I take a long <laughs> way around the barn. So what you do is, is that we have, there are certain tests that we do. And we know that if you've done it this way, we want pictures recorded. We have, there's a certain documentation. I don't want just a piece of paper written out. Take a snapshot and then you record it. What that does is that encourages the customer to want to do business with you. Because now you're not just buying a chode engine that's a great product. You're also buying a process that we've developed. And that ensures quality control now past the dock door. So when they're installing these engines, it comes with this. And there is a list of stuff that we say, this is what I want you to take a picture of. There are certain tests that we require that you, um, that you do a video of, not just a picture, but a video of. Because you can certain things you can pencil with. I don't want it pencil with. And it's to protect the shop owner ultimately too. 
because I can't tell you how many guys that really bust their hump day in and day out, and they hire that one guy over there, and he's quick and he's in a hurry, and he does something, and, man, it costs him a bunch of money real fast. So if I was a shop owner, I would go, I'm interested in that because now I have an insurance policy. I have kind of big brother looking over the shoulder, making sure it's getting done the way that it should be done. Um, and then if you do it, you know, and you're doing it the right way, you got no problem taking pictures and stuff. I have no problem of sharing the photos and stuff that I do because we've done it the way that it should be done. The six, four, um, fuel just not bring that thing. Well, okay, fine. The, I'm just kidding. The six, four, go ahead. 08 to 10 Ford <laughs> engine. <laughs> Uh, fuel pump process I thought was interesting so mm -hmm. he's got listed on this um, recommendation sheet so that you know the installer process sheets is turn the uh, or activate the um, low pressure fuel pump the supply pump and let it run for what is it 20 minutes yeah with the fuel or with the plug in the bottom of the pan out yeah with the, with the plug in the bottom of the pan out and the reason yeah. being is that pump like you were saying earlier that pump when it's supplied by the lift pump it leaks past the rings of the shaft and goes right down into the case and dilutes the oil. And you don't know it because mm -hmm. you go drive the thing around and 5,000 miles later, your bearings are gone. Right. See, yeah. I never thought of something like yeah, that. Just take That's a shock valve right in front of it. If there's a drop that comes out and you haven't put any oil in it, yeah. it's leaking right? because there's nothing in it. Simple as that. Yeah. So but it's not all just simple processes like blow your lines out. It's right. specific little things that this will show you if this is bad. This will show you if that's bad. Mm -hmm. Let's diagnose it before we get the phone call. Let's diagnose it before it fails. It's so much easier because don't just hand me a piece of scrap iron back and going, look what happened. I mean, I can diagnose it. Let's diagnose it when everything's still together. And let's do it where we can save ourselves money and we can save ourselves time. We can save ourselves, you know, a customer being angry. Let's just do it right on the front end. Let's go into it with our eyes wide open, though. Um, because if we, you know, some of the biggest things that have been eye-openers to me are is that new parts aren't necessarily good parts. Just because it's new doesn't mean, because it means it came in a box. That's what it means. It means you paid money for it. We weren't already on the truck. doesn't mean that the quality was there necessarily. Um, and It means it's suspect. That's it. That's truly when I do have a new part, I'm more suspect of it. When somebody goes, Oh, it can't be that. I just replaced it. And then I go, okay, you just replaced the engine and you just replaced this one. This one's new. And this one's new. We've got a Mexican standoff now. Okay. <laughs> what are you going to do? They're both new. Well, that just negates that. It's kind of like an algebraic equation or something. It just negates both sides. No, it doesn't work that way. Let's diagnose it. Let's figure out what's going on. So um, yeah, that's, there's, there's a lot. So we have a whole list. Uh, of stuff uh, and we're constantly adding to it um you know there's some things that i would add i haven't added this to the list but here's here's a thought just right off the top of my head um i had a customer that brought us a truck um and it was a six liter and um he had an aftermarket he got it from rock auto or something it was radiator and the thing was half the the dimension it was half the thickness of an oe i mean you could tell it was a China-made radiator. It was it was like this what this engine? thin. What engine? Do you remember? Six liter. Yeah. Oh, it was a six liter. Okay. So what we did is we tested it. We took a five-gallon bucket and uh, we uh, made it where we had a hole in the bottom of it with a fitting on it. And then we took the radiator, drained it all out, take the five-gallon bucket, hang it on the hook, and then time how long it takes for five gallons of coolant or water to pass from the top of it through all the way to the bottom of it. Time it. Okay, click. Now go get a factory one. You'd be surprised to see 
what the difference is in restrictions. It's amazing. People don't think about those things. They just go slapping that stuff on. It's not, it affects it. Everything you do affects the engine. It's not a, it, it's a system. What's so fascinating to me about this is I think like how complex engines are and how many variables there are in them. And I see it a lot just being a consumer. It doesn't even have to be related to automotive, but I'll see some Facebook post or Instagram and somebody will say, I got this part. It sucks. This is what it did. And then the company will say, well, now it was good when it left. And then the customer's pissed off and then they're posting on social media. And then you get all these people that don't know anything about it, but they're just piling on and piling on. And I don't see what you guys are doing very often, if at all, in the aftermarket. And I think that's so important because it does, it just doesn't apply to you guys in the building and the people in there. If you have a dealer and they have a bad experience, well, now you've affected a dealer, a good install shop. You have a customer out there, their truck doesn't run, they're upset because they just spent 10, 12, 20 grand, whatever it might be. And it's this big loop that goes around. And it's a systematic approach to say, how does the quality extend past the door? Which I think is massive because I, I see dealers who are going to look at you guys and say, I want to work with them. I want to work with them because they have the data. They have the information when they built it. They've told me what process I need to use here to install it, which means the guy standing at my counter is not going to come in one day all upset, angry, everything else. And then ultimately that truck owner is going to say, I got this engine. The install was smooth. This thing is awesome. I didn't have any problems, which is you never want to see them again. Like if they come back to you, it's because they want to do something else, not because right. they want to get something replaced. So it's so it's so important to do that. And I think whether it's a shop owner, a truck owner listening, another company that builds something else that pertains to a vehicle, what you're talking about is so important and part of the evolution of automotive, which we've talked about before in the past. Yes. I think I was saying, Hey, I've, I've just wanted for years to see automotive get to how some of these other industries are where it's so streamlined and it's so seamless. So what you guys are doing is really, really important. <laughs> not sure the right word to use, but it's important for people to hear it, especially if they're doing things that you guys do or in automotive or a truck owner thinking, okay, I've got 50 places I can buy from. Do they have a process? Mm -hmm. Where do I go? Are they qualified? Is it a qualified mm -hmm. dealer? Like what are the qual? Cause sometimes there are no qualifications. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's important. It's a business of passion too. Like if you look at some of the other large it's a business of passion, but it's also a very, very hard way to do business from what I've seen from the outside looking in, even though I'm inside, but all my experience before is from the outside looking in. A lot of the really big outfits kind of slap things together. I mean, that's that's probably saying it too horribly for them, but a lot of the really big outfits, and, and these aren't these aren't the outfits that are you know specific to our, our diesel performance. Diesel performance is its own thing. I'm I'm talking yeah. just crate motors just you know normal guy that that doesn't you know doesn't care about compound turbos and stuff like that that wants to throw a new engine at it you look at a lot of these bigger outfits that do that they're cutting so many corners because they have to deal with what we're dealing with as well but they're cutting so many corners that they have to cut those corners to keep their margins high so now now how do we create something better and have to try and do this customer service and, and and help these guys through doing it the right way because we are building something better your margins go away it's it's just such an incredibly like i 
I mean, I'm sorry, I'm probably making you feel horrible about your you life choices here. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's such an incredibly hard thing to do. But Stay it's... on for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. But it's such an incredibly hard thing to do because it's, I don't know how to explain it any other way. It's it's just it it's so tough. All these other operations are just, they're, they have to cut those corners to, to survive. And, and we're not willing to do that. And it takes so much more work and so much more money to do so much more work that it's, mm-hmm. it's a, I guess it's a constant struggle. Absolutely. You know? I mean, uh, like I said before, the, the, the engine game, everything is affected by the engine. Um, and I'm get called in, I would say 90, nah, 80, maybe 80%. Of the diagnostics that I do, and I mean, you saw it the other day. I mean, guys write books, and goodness, heaven bless them. Okay, I I really do. I, some of it, it's it's you know, just give me the facts. I don't need to know what you ate for breakfast. I don't need to know why you named your dog the name you named. Oh, okay? I know what you mean. But okay. I just just give me. I want to help you. Just give me the facts, and and we can move on from there. Because at some point I'd like to go to bed tonight, right? You know, and I'm reading this thing. He's I'm referencing a note this guy. Oh my god! And no, it was a novel, okay. Oh. But the thing is, is that I'm already in it this far. <laughs> I almost feel like that Johnny Cash movie where she goes, "I don't know if you saw that part." And she says, "You go down there and help Johnny." You know, you're trying to get the tractor out of the mud. And she goes, "I don't want to get in." She goes, "You're already in it." <laughs> I don't know if you saw that part or not. That's the way I feel about it. You know, I'm already in it, right? So I've got to help the guy diagnose his truck because I sold him the engine. I'm already in it, you know. Um, I'm uh I've got to help this guy, even though he's got a misfire and it's it's probably uh not related to the engine. But if I'm already this far in it, then and I'm gonna be called out on the carpet for this thing, fine. I'll take responsibility. And that's the reason why I always would say, that's fine, let me be the guy that builds a full runner. And I said this, you know, we built a house and so uh, there for the longest time, we were doing a ton of installs and I was encouraging people to send the, the trucks to us and let us do the installs and stuff. Because the guy that does my, my wife, when we were building our house, she said, who should we get to do the painting? I said, who'd you get to do the drywall? And she told me, I said, get the same guy. If he does painting, let the guy that did the drywall do the painting. Because when it's not right, he can't say the guy that did the drywall is the reason why it doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah. So the way that I looked at it is it's fine. Let me build the engine. Let me build the whole thing. Let me do the install. If it ain't right, I'll take care of it. Not a problem. But I can't do that many installs. There's just way too many and we just don't have enough people. So that means I've got to work with some shops and shops that I can trust. Now, the thing is, is let me build a process that's ironclad that will make sure that these guys are doing it, you know, to to the to the uh, extent that we're wanting it to the standard that we're expecting, and the, the standard that their customers are expecting, and honestly, most times the standard that the shop owner is expecting. So let me build that, and and just follow me here, and then we can really cut down on your reworks. Because the thing about it is, is that like my guys, every time they torque ahead, they hate my guts. Every time they torque ahead, did you take a picture? I've had them do that before. Uh, when we first started this process, I had him do it one time. It was on the very, very beginning. I said, did you did you make sure that you took a picture of this, this, and this? Uh, no, but I know it was right. Take the engine apart. Do it again. Do it again. Take it apart. You got to be kidding me. This thing's all the way together. And you're going to make me take it apart? Yep, I am. And I'm not making you do it. I told you to do it. You didn't do it. Now we get to take it apart because it's that important. Because here's what's going to happen. And I've had this discussion many times. If the customer calls me and he asks me that question, I've got to be able to prove it. 
I'm not just going to put you on the phone and go, no, 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 I remember I did it. That's not going to work. I need proof every time you do it. If you take that same process and you do it towards the, you know, when you're doing the installs and stuff, I checked it. Well, how do you know you checked it? Because I got a picture of it. Okay, good enough. Got it. All right, go on to the next thing. Because how many people go to sleep at night going, did I tighten that bolt? Wait a minute, let me check. <laughs> yep, I tightened it. We're good. You know, we're going. In video production and in magazine, well, mainly video production, they're saying a 10 minutes of prep saves an hour on the back end. Um, and it, I don't know, it applies perfectly there. That extra two hours he took because he, he didn't have to take those two hours, but that's going to save the guy down the line an extra couple of days. Sure will. Sure will. One of the things that's going to destroy our reputation. <laughs> one of the things this reminded of, reminded me of and was way back, I'd say maybe 2008 or nine when the 68 RFPs came out. And you'd read some post on some forum or Facebook or whatever it might be, and they'd say, I got this transmission, it you know, made it around the block, and it failed. This company sucks, they can't build it. And somebody would say, well, where'd, where'd you get it installed? Oh, this guy's been building 48 REs and 47s, and he did 727s his whole life, and he put the right amount of fluid in, you know, all this stuff, torqued everything down. Well, do you do a relearn? What's a relearn? And right. it's like there was no process in place for that he didn't know or whatever or whatever it might have been but that created just such a nightmare for the customer the company there's this post out there there's word of mouth and so when when i think of what's more complex on a transmission i think engines because like you said Cass, everything's bolted to it and it's like the heart of everything and the mind too and i know some people out there will relate to that you know kind of analogy but it totally clicked for me okay well some of these places have processes. You need to relearn it. You need to write down the you know CVI values. You need to verify what type of fluid it is, how much is in there. Well, look at all you have going on with an engine. So I think I think it's a tremendous benefit, not just to like, you guys as customers, but your dealers, but also in general for gosh, it doesn't even apply to it could apply past way past automotive construction, repair, exactly anything else is you know that's where just, I got it. Yeah, I didn't get it from this sector. I got it from watching other people and different, you know, how Henry Ford came along and got his idea of the work moving and people standing still. Yeah. You know, I got his idea from the car oh, moving and people no. standing still. Mm -mm. Butchers. When you go to a butcher, the meat moves and the people are cutting off the different types of meat mm -hmm. and the people don't move, but the cow moves faster, right? I say all that to say that the idea is this, the application is everything. You can take it from anywhere. You know, just because the wheel works on the wagon doesn't mean that it won't work in another application. And that's where really, in the that's where inventors have their best ideas. You know, I mean, it's, what was it, the sticky pad <laughs> for the longest time? I don't know if you watched that, where the sticky note, how it came about. They were going to scrap it. Uh, they were trying to come up with a, a way to solve some problem. And obviously it did not have anything to do. It just, they couldn't figure out this adhesive, what it was going to be used for because it wasn't strong enough. And then, then somebody put a note on the door of the sticky pad, the 3M, the pads that they make now. Well, that's how that came about. It was an accident. Huh. Um, so it's the application, but it's perfect for that, right? So it's everything that has to do with the, in the right application. And I've said it before, you know, if you kind of like if you judged a, a, an elephant, how, a, how well he could fly or how well he could swim, you know, he'd be a failure. It's the application. It's really good in this situation. Uh, it may not be the best, though, in the production environment as far as trying to get stuff out the door, 
It's certainly not. It's not going to help you there. But then again, if you have to figure in your reworks and your comebacks, you may be money ahead. For me, I just never was part of the equation. Um, and that's the reason why I'd rather do that. And a lot of people get really interested in the way we diagnose things too, kind of breaking off of that. And that's one of the reasons why we, so we started doing something too, because people get really um, involved in the, the forensics, if you will, of the way that we diagnose stuff. So we started this thing called Diesel Masters. And um, we break down basically how um, how we came to this conclusion. Uh, one of the pilot episode aired. And, it's a YouTube show. Yeah. yeah. It's a YouTube show on our channel. And it basically how we found that this lifter failed and this, this, this didn't happen. And so, uh, yeah. And we, we fill it with all sorts of other stupid antics and fun stuff, too. You know? Blowing up stuff. <laughs> yeah. Flame growers. Bl blew an engine up the other day with Tannerite. I know fun. you're a few guy, so. Yeah. <laughs> So making flamethrowers of stuff you see on Instagram with pressure washers. Yeah. But using diesel fuel to do it works really, really well, by the way. Yeah. But we're teaching people how, how diesel fuel burns better when it's right. atomized. That's though. right. Because it's all about the fan tip. Right. But actually I, you know, I was really surprised that that red nozzle, you know, the one that's a 0%, like the sheet straight, it works really good. It shoots a long way. I mean, Felt like I was in Vietnam or something. But that's going to be the one that bores a hole in your piston. That's true. You know, the, the, the cone one did a lot yeah. better, and that'll probably swirl back. And... See, that was the reason why I lit the tree on fire. Oh, is that why? That's why. Okay. It's for education, kids. <laughs> yeah. I'm Don't good. try this at home. So we told the fire marshal when he showed up, too. He actually did show up. He goes, what are y'all doing? <laughs> I said, you what I, does it look like we're doing? We're like sticking hard with a retro washer. I told him it was weed abatement. He looked yeah. at me like, oh, okay. <laughs> you got fire extinguishers, fine, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you want to pull the trigger? He goes, as long as y'all got something to put it out with. <laughs> we are responsible individuals. We well, the, so we sidetracked here, but the, 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 the show is always has a learning aspect, always has a teaching aspect. We try and do it in a fun way. When we packed an engine full of tannerite, well, we didn't because I, I was afraid of catching a chunk of engine because I've caught those chunks of engine before on dyno competitions. I was afraid. I know. Yeah, I know. He hates me for not letting him pack the thing with tannerite. And it would have been ten uh, pounds, not eight. Yeah, it would have been ten <laughs> pounds. I know. I'm sorry. I've been around too many dynos where engines have lost yeah. their heads. It's true. Um, but uh, no, the reason that we decided to do that was because a engine came into the shop or a truck came into the shop full of bullet holes. Yeah. And when we tore it apart, we found out that it had absolutely nothing to do with the bullet holes that were in the engine. It ended up having a split piston from something else, but we we're just sitting there like, and I really wanted to see what it would look like if you, you know, <laughs> killed an engine with a, with a, with a pew. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, this is, I don't, I don't know YouTube's laws yet. I feel like you can't say, you know but you can say pew you know? yeah yeah, yeah I, th I think i think it goes something like that that's uh, no how do people find that it, how do they find you guys on youtube so it's chode engineering performance on you well it's chode performance on youtube is the app um and then it's uh just latest videos you'll see diesel masters on there there's also a, a playlist called diesel masters is it the okay. diesel masters sorry it is the diesel masters the diesel yeah but we have the diesel masters on facebook we have the diesel masters on youtube we have the dieselmasters.com um so if they want to see the latest episode and they can't find it on youtube for some reason um the dieselmasters.com and it'll link back to it uh, but it's um 
that this guy's invested a lot into it. It's the it's we're using a really high end uh, uh, videographer and editor. Um, it's really shot amazingly well. Um, it's edited amazingly well. Um, we're still working on the uh, the story. You know, we got a little bit of learning to do. The first one was definitely we all had our ideas, and what came out in the end was a conglomerate of everyone's ideas. But this last one we did, which should be out. Uh, I don't want to say a few weeks. I think he's probably got three or four weeks of editing to go. But it's uh, we're all really giddy to see this one because yeah. we did a lot of fun things with it. It was it was an interesting one. But um, no, that's been a lot of fun. Very yeah. cool. Well, it was it was awesome to chat with you guys today. I didn't expect to learn as much as I did, but I think that process and the way you guys explained it is. It's so unique, but also so needed at the same time. And I, and I love being able to connect the dots between the relationship between dealer, customer, manufacturer, process. And, you know, ultimately nobody wants a failure after they just had one. So what can we do to avoid it and, and help? So there's a lot of knowledge there. Now, if, if somebody's got questions for you guys, maybe it's a, a shop out there that hasn't worked with you guys and they want to get set up or somebody needs a 6.4 or 6.7 Cummins or Power Stroke or Duramax. How uh how do they reach out to you or what is the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, so email is diesel at choate c h o a t e performance dot com. Uh, phone number is 901-553-9847. Um, or you can go to our website chokeperformance.com. Um, or any of our social. I check that thing every single morning before I get up and grab the kid. So you can send us a message a message on social and get a hold of us there or, or find me or find him Cass mm -hmm. Choke, Adam Blattenberg I don't care if you message me directly I got a public page kind of had to after 10 years running the diesel <laughs> world you know but, uh, it was awesome all sorts of ways to do it it was awesome to chat with you guys I, I look forward to the next one there's a whole bunch of questions I got for you guys pertaining to technical information oil weights different transmission stuff whole bunch of things so I'm going to bug you guys about that here coming up and uh, we'll do another one and, and have a good engine chat love talking with you man good to see you again our pleasure thank you for having us on don't forget diesel fans make sure and head on over to kershaw.kaiusa.com use code 23 diesel 20 for 20 percent off site-wide it's a great way to save some money get some really cool gear so if you're in the market for a knife or hunting fishing edc around the job site around the house they've definitely got you covered They've had a bunch of releases in 2023, and one of the latest are the Duralock models, which have a blade made out of D2 steel, a bunch of different choices for blade shape and also handle shape as well. So definitely make sure and head on over, check them out if you're in the market, use that discount code, save some money, get some cool gear. I'd also like to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowen of 23Diesel, J. Cole John, all of our other Patreon supporters, all of you who subscribe on YouTube, podcast apps, follow us on social media. We appreciate all your support here in your 7 of the Diesel Podcast and look forward to bringing you more of the content that you guys want to hear in 2023. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.